0: Hi, and welcome to All This and the Oscars 2, AwardsDaily.com's podcast on the Oscar race. My name is Sasha Stone. I'm the founder and main content provider of AwardsDaily. I'm here with our editors, Ryan Adams and Clarence Moy. Hi, guys. Good evening. Hey there. So today we're going to do something a little bit different, actually, tonight. is we Usually we talk about the Oscar race, but since it's the 10th anniversary of David Fincher's glorious masterpiece, The Social Network, and since I just did that episode on my um, podcast memoir, which you can check out at goldtripping.com about the social network, um, we thought we'd dedicate an entire uh, podcast to this wonderful film. Readers of the site will remember it well, how much we loved it and how much we wrote about it and um, and how much we fought for it in that year's Oscar race. And so we're doing something that we hope might be a ongoing series which is deep diving into a film or a director and we're calling it kind of tentatively um awards daily goes to film school
1: oh i How didn't did, know we were calling it that but that's i, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't either did, until I did. just now but <laughs> what do you think I like that. <laughs> do you like I that like it.
0: yeah I it do. okay i just made it up on the spot so
1: that's
0: fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so okay, so I'll just give a quick intro to this wonderful film. So um, in 2010, The Social Network was released. It was directed by David Fincher, written by Aaron Sorkin, um, starring Jesse Eisenberg and uh, Rooney Mara, and uh, Army Hammer as the Winkle Vi. <laughs> and um, of course, the it, it won the Oscar for Um, Score, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And it won editing for the
2: editors. Angus Angus um, Wall
0: Wall and Kirk Baxter, I believe, Mm -hmm. are the two editors that won for that.
2: Angus Wall is the guy that uh, made the opening credit sequences for Game of Thrones.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a neat bit of trivia. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Because he won some Mm -hmm. Emmys for that, too.
0: Wow. Wow, neat. So um, so The Social Network was uh, a movie about Mark Zuckerberg. It was based on a book um, by Ben Mes- Mesrich. Mesrich? Um, and, and he was actually writing it when Aaron Sorkin was writing the screenplay. They were doing it concurrently. And it was in the early days of, obviously, Needless to Say, the early days of Facebook before people were really using it. Um, and nobody really knew quite. I mean, maybe they did because, obviously, the film knows exactly where it's going, where Facebook is going. Um, it foreshadows that. But, um, but, you know, I don't know if anybody knew that it would be, you know, he'd be called into Congress so many times or if he would be, you know, in trouble for having helped uh, put Trump in power. All um,
1: oh, right. I mean, you know, the Facebook didn't have nearly the kind of reputation 10 years ago that it has now. We right. had, I mean, at the time, back in 2010, there was no animosity toward Facebook at all. I think there may have been some uh, some you know, raised eyebrows about Zuckerberg himself, but 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 I don't think anybody... I think everybody still was kind of loved Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was before, it before this reputation started to go downhill by a, a long, by many years. Yeah. By the, yeah,
0: and I was already a big David Fincher fan because um, I, you know, obviously had seen Fight Club and Seven. And when Benjamin Button came in, it was it was uh, 2013, and I had advocated for that movie pretty hard that year. I'm not 2013, sorry, 2008. It mm. was a Slum Slumdog Millionaire year. Um, And it got, ended up getting 13 nominations. And that was really when I first started writing about David Fincher. Um, But I loved the social network, obviously loved Girl with Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl. And so now we know that David Fincher is releasing a movie in October called Mank, which is about um, Herman Mankiewicz, who uh, co-wrote Citizen Kane and many believe actually, you know, was, was a, Really, the main driver of that plot. There's, there's no way you'd have a Citizen Kane without Herman Mankiewicz, mm. and you, you wouldn't have and, a, um, uh, you wouldn't have a, a Citizen Kane without Orson Welles. Needless to say, just like you wouldn't have a social network without Aaron Sorkin, and you wouldn't have a social network without David Fincher.
1: And in fact, I think this—I don't know if it's in the movie or not, but it's in, been in other things I've seen about the making of Citizen Kane—is that when uh, Orson Welles came to Hollywood and was, and was fishing around trying to think of an idea that he that he might do for his first movie, he was talking to Mank and Mank says, well, you know, I've got this screenplay that I've had in a trunk for like a long time, but I, I, maybe we can make something of that. And it was called The American. Mm-hmm. And, and and so it was he already had a, a draft script even before he met Wells. And so I don't know how much of The American changed between The American and Citizen Kane or whether that's brought out in Mank or not or or, or right. really how much truth there is to that story that I've heard. But that that's what I have always believed that he already had a draft ready before he even met Wells.
0: Yeah. So David Fincher's made this movie. He's made um, Social Network about a real-life person. Um, and uh, Zodiac, obviously, is about real-life people. So he he has done that, you know, delved into history a little bit. But, um, but, but let's talk about Social Network. So um, to me, I've seen very few movies that I would call perfect films. And I actually watched social network 30 times the year that it was in the oscar race that 2010 year i watched it that many i've seen it dozens of times since and and every time i watch it i'm just as bedazzled by it as i was the first time i saw it and it never gets tired for me like i i've never gotten sick of that movie and i i i can only put it down to david fincher's meticulous directing how he goes back over it, you know, and trim, 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 and he makes sure everything is clean, and he, you know, gets rid of all the fat, and he's just very um, disciplined about how he wants to tell a story. And he never mm-hmm. wants to get the reader, um, I mean the reader. He never yeah. wants to bore the viewer. Anyway, I'm doing all the talking.
1: Oh, no, so, I mean, as far as, um, you know, as, since you mentioned the reader, uh, or, or reading a screenplay, uh, I have, I've, I've read two really deep dive interviews with David Fincher that are in a book uh, that the University of Mississippi puts out a, a series of interviews with such and such and they've got like 20 or 30 different directors and it's interviews with all of these different directors and I've got the Fincher one. And so he does, a, he does an interview in this book where he talks about um, the fact that when he and he showed Sony the screenplay for Social Network, it was 166 pages long, mm. and Sony says, "Well, okay, we like it, but we're going to have to try to think about what we can cut out." And, and Avengers says, "Well, I don't want to cut anything out. I don't really think we need to." He says, so he calls Sorkin in and he says, "Let's read through this. He says, You read, you read it, and I'll time. We'll put a stopwatch on it, and we just read as fast as you can.'" Mm. And so Sorkin read it, and, and it, he was able to read it in two hours because he just. Saw, lightning fast right (laughs) and so he says and so it gets back in touch with sony he says we can do it we i I can bring it in under two hours even if it's 166 pages long i can bring it in under two hours and sony was like yeah we'll believe it when we see it but they did and it's because it's so razor sharp like you said there is absolutely not any single wasted frame in that film and the dialogue is so tight and the dialogue is so compressed together and the actors uh, all of the actors are able to speak the script with such precision that it's just like clockwork, right yeah. and, and so that's and, that, I mean I'm just goes back to what you were saying about that um, about the, how, how we can watch a film like that over and over is because we can appreciate it for different reasons, and one of the reasons I appreciate it is just how crackerjack the editing and the pacing of it is. Yeah sorry.
0: No, no, it's good, <laughs> Clarence. Did you want to say something? I don't want to keep talking over you.
2: No, I uh, I rewatched it uh, two weeks ago because I showed it to my kids, um, and uh, because we we do family movie nights every Saturday night, uh, and I got oh. tired of eighties comedies, um, <laughs> which is where we kind of started this, and um, it, it, they they found it really captivating, which I found really interesting because it is it is a much it, it is it is asking them to interact with a film on a very different level than they ever have before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't sure how they would react to it. Um, One thing before we go too far, one thing I do want to do is I want to break down the opening scene, which I think is, is probably one of the (laughs) best opening sequences of a film Mm -hmm. that he's directed. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So famously that opening scene was, was shot uh, 90 times. Um, But it was on digital, so I don't know why people made such a big deal about that, but. Um...
1: Right. Except, I mean, and that's another thing that I read. I think it was the same interview I read that that. Uh, so they shoot the first scene, and Sony's already on Fincher's back and says, "How could you possibly, take two days to shoot a scene that lasts for four minutes? And but what's, it sets going, the what's tone going on? Yeah, right. And so Fincher's like, "Well, do you want me to? to take my time and get it right or do you want me to to um hurry up and not get it right and you, we can, i can either make it tight or i can make it loose and i thought you wanted it tight and the only way to get it tight is to do it over and over until it's tight enough and i and i think that when, one other thing he says in this interview is that the reason he did it 99 times is because what he likes to do with actors he doesn't want them to come into onto the set with preconceived notions about where what 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 they're going to emphasize he wants them to forget everything that they thought about what they were going to do. He wants them kind of just like he wants to wear them out to the extent that it's almost as if they're they're just they're saying it out of their own head instead of instead of rem- remembering what to say from the screenplay that they've read and if you do that, he think he feels like if you do that over and over with the right c- kind of actor that it becomes so much a part of them that they forget that they're that it's from a screenplay and it starts really to become part of their own. Um, rhythm and syntax and and uh, and pacing that they have in their own voices. And he says that that when he saw what, what Jesse Eisenberg could do with the screenplay, he says he's the only person I've ever known who could read Sorkin better than Sorkin Sorkin himself. <laughs> and the same thing about Rooney Mara. He says that he tested a lot of people. They went all over the world testing for an actress who could keep up with him in that first scene. But there was something about the way that she challenged him and stood up to him and was sharp enough and also the way that she controlled herself and didn't just, he said some of the, re, some of the people who read for the scene got angry too fast and, mm-hmm. or got, and he didn't want that. He wanted it to be a slow boil. And so they, so that Zuckerberg would not even know that he was pushing his luck and that he had gone too far and he was losing her. Yeah. He wanted it to, yeah. so.
2: Well, I love how he, after the opening the what Sony image or whatever it is. Um, I love how he cuts to black and he lets the dialogue play for about 30 seconds, mm-hmm. just enough to, to let you hear. It's like, it's almost like you're waiting into the dialogue pool. <laughs> rather than throw you in with to, to to give you the cacophony of the dialogue plus all the bar noise and the editing and you know because it, it it eventually becomes a lot to take in in that sequence but he just gives you just a little bit of the dialogue so you can start sort of getting used to the rhythms before you know bam there's the scene there's the you know the the um, the background in the bar there's the, the the music playing there's the background noise the the, the sound editing working in there Um I just love how he just kind of wades in
1: there.
0: I do too, like, and I, I know, love how it's, it's immediate. Yeah, it's
1: bound, bound to be. It's almost as if you're sitting at an adjacent table in the, in the bar with them and you just gradually begin begin to be aware of this conversation happening at the table next to you and you start to focus in on it more and more and you turn around and look at them instead of just hearing overhearing them, you turn to look at them and when you turn to look at them, that's when you start to see it instead of just hear it. And so you're really, it's a sense of you are there kind of thing.
0: Right. But it's yeah. also, it's also what I love about it is, you know, it, it's, it's all of these elements working at once. And, and that's what he does so well in this, he, actually, in all of his films, which, um, you know, we can talk about in a minute. But so what you get right away, you've got the brown tones of the room. So you've got cinematography. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you've got a great cinematographer. And you're this, you're looking at this very awkward college student in this crowded bar, who's talking to this really pretty girl and you know they're they're trying to have this conversation and they're just missing each other and you've got music in the background you look, you're looking at this guy who is not having fun he's trying but he can't he doesn't know how to speak college <laughs> you know he all, all everything she says he takes personally you know it, he doesn't row crew and she likes guys who row crew you know um he's talking about getting into a final club finals club Um, And that shows that he wants to ascend in society and status. And she's kind of mocking him for that. He's mocking her for her education. And that shows that, again, he wants to be known for his status. You know, he's kind of hitting her with these things to show that he's his feelings are easily hurt. He's a guy with a mission. You know, he's going to make his life into something. So he's going to be that guy. That Mm -hmm. that they want in their club, or that you know, and he's he's out to screw them, and he's out to screw the world. He's not not afraid
1: to show her that his his feelings can get hurt, but he's uh, paying no attention at all that he is is definitely hurting her feelings as he's going (laughs) along, and he's he's oblivious to that. He's letting her know how sensitive he is, and but he just he gradually, but yeah, I do think that he does. Yeah, you're right. I know that he does get in some jabs at her because he's a little bit angry, and but he doesn't realize how deeply he's stinging her because. She's keeping her cool about it until she, until she says, "Well, we're not dating." Well, yeah, she says. He he
0: goes, "Wait, is this serious?" And she's like, "Yes, it's serious." And that again shows how sort of out of touch he is. Um, Mm -hmm. And what I love about the way that 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 Fincher directs this scene is he is he you know he he really does take us into the atmosphere and a lot of it's sound. That's the great thing about Social Network is the crafts are all like at a at They're they're all bringing their A game. Every single mm-hmm. element of this film, from the editing to the cinematography to the music, um, to the acting, to the directing, to the writing—it's all just perfect. You know, it, and I, that doesn't happen very often um, in in film. It really doesn't. There's there's usually a weak link somewhere, um, but here you're seeing, you know, you're you're brought. What I love about the colors, especially, um, and the, and the way he shoots them back and forth, you know, he shows her. You know, beautiful face, beautiful college girl. And and then they, they cut over to him and they go back and forth and he's this kind of closed off, you know, tight nut of a person, you know, and you can just you can just tell by looking at them, by reading their body language that he's closed off and she isn't, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, he shot the, he shot it with two cameras and that's another reason why they did so many takes is because when you shoot with two cameras you're getting you're getting the background action and so if you're going to do multiple takes you have to have the background action match up and so so in, in not just having them redo their lines over and over and over 99 times but the background action has to be taking place 99 times too and it has to match, or you won't, or there'll be a continuity problem when you try to cut it together. yeah, you'll be having people jump around in the background that, and in a, in a regular movie you don't really notice that it's not perfect because you you don't really notice things that aren't perfect so much. But when they are perfect, you do notice them. And that's what we noticed about the social network. And yeah. that's why that's what makes this movies different and superior to so many others is because you notice the perfection where with other movies, you, if it's not, you let the lack of per- lack of perfection slide.
0: Right, and, and so if- he comes out of the, he's, he's, you know, she says to him, the, the the theme of the film, you know, you're, you're going to think that girls don't like you because um, you're a nerd or something. And he, she says, I, I want you to know that won't be true. It will be because you're an asshole. And she mm. leaves. Mm. And then the music starts and it goes it it is first very sentimental. Dun dun dun. He's walking across campus, this lonely guy who just got dumped by a squirrel And then he gets into his dorm room, he has this idea, he cracks open a beer, he is about to unleash
2: Mark Zuckerberg upon the world. Erica Albright's a bitch. Do you think that's because her family changed their name from Albrecht? Or do you think it's because all be you girls are bitches?
0: Because of that date and and hmm. if you watch the movie listen to the music cues listen to the first way the music plays dung 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 and then it gets into the into the room and he sits down on the computer and then he he starts and then just listen to the sounds listen to the dialogue listen to the the way that the beer opening sounds listen to the tapping on the computer and then listen to how the music starts and how the music builds that scene that whole sequence of hotornot.com just listen to it with just like you know. Watch the scene and just listen to it with with your eyes closed and listen to how it moves. It's incredible, um, mm. you know. And then it starts going dun 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 dun. And he's like, yeah, it's on. Mm.
2: I'm not going to do the farm animals, but I like the idea of comparing two people together. It gives the whole thing a very Turing feel, since people's ratings of the pictures will be more implicit than, say, choosing a number to represent each person's hotness like they do on HotOrNot.com. The first thing we're going to need is a lot of pictures. Unfortunately, Harvard doesn't keep a public centralized Facebook, so I'm going to have to get all the images from the individual houses that people are in. Let the hacking begin.
0: You know, he goes through this whole mm-hmm. thing. And, and by the end of that whole sequence, which is like a, it's like a musical, how it plays to the music, the dialogue, he will be in trouble. He will have crashed the Harvard servers. He would have totally made a name for himself.
1: <laughs> he and- will have had confrontations with his roommates who are trying to either to encourage him or dissuade him one or the other. And, and so you're setting up the, the relationships he has with people and the way that people try to influence him to no avail. Mm-hmm. And you get, you get that right away, too.
0: And you get him saying, Erica, Albright is a bitch, and mm-hmm. she has a tiny bra size, and you see her injured from him mm-hmm. um, blogging, and then and then that's it. And then Mark Zuckerberg's career is, is taking off just from that.
2: And you also get the uh, introduction of Eduardo, played by Andrew Garfield, um, and the algorithm that he shares on that uh, in, in, in a... I call it the uh, the Goodwill Hunting moment, where he's writing something on the mirror. I mean, right. it's
1: I know, you know it's a it's a, a similar moment in I hate to say, but in A Beautiful Mind, where he writes That's the right. formula on the window, and right. and and it's, it's it's a great shot because it shows the formula floating in in midair between the audience and the person who's writing it down, and it. And it in in, in, in uh, it makes an impact on you that that is coming right off the top of Eduardo's head. Yeah, that he can yeah, just a- he can stand there and just like this comes right out of his head onto onto and, the screen.
0: And it's important that Eduardo stand out too, because what what Fincher does in that opening scene is he really does set the visual um, tone of Harvard. What the what the atmosphere at Harvard was like. What these girls because this is all setting up for what Face Facebook would become. Exclusivity. It was about meeting, at first, it was about meeting Harvard men. So you're seeing these girls coming in by the truckloads, and then you're seeing them dancing on tables, and you're seeing these, you know, this kind of gross, <laughs> misogynist Harvard, what young millennials would call, or Gen Zers would call rape culture. You know, it's like playing out before your eyes, and, and that's the world that Mark Zuckerberg is in. And he's joining them, and he's becoming one of them, and and, uh, and Facebook's early roots. Although, you know, as Mark Zuckerberg so smartly says later, if your clients could have uh, could have built Facebook, they would have made, built Facebook. You know, they didn't. They couldn't because they couldn't conceive of it. So whatever it was he conceived of for Facebook, it was very different from what it started out as, which is sort of this nasty, you know, Harvard culture of like hot or not, you know, um, as Eric Albright says, comparing women to farm animals, you know. Um, So but I love the way that Fincher sets it up. And if you watch it back, you can see he does it in a few shots and he and he sets it up really brilliantly the same way that he later sets up the headquarters of Facebook first at Palo Alto, the house. You know he's wired in, and you know they're doing their mm. whole like young hacker thing in Silicon Valley, getting ready to ruin all of our lives in America. By the way, but, uh, but then, without knowing it. But then also the, uh, the the culture at Facebook when he becomes you know I'm CEO bitch when he's like the top dog and he and they hit a million um, uh, members, and that atmosphere like he's just Fincher has the worlds down and he knows them and he knows exactly how to depict. Um, each of these worlds. And so when we start out, we're starting out in Harvard, and Harvard is you know rich assholes, you know, using their status to kind of bring in girls and sleep with girls it, and it's also mirrored later in um in in a Palo Alto, the same. And then the I'm sorry, I'm just going on and on about a movie. I love so much, but he's like, mm. when the girlfriend you know when he says to the girlfriend, I, I can promise you that the Silicon Valley sluts don't care what your relationship status is on <laughs> Facebook, you know, because another of, you know,
1: I, and, I go, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No,
0: you. go, please. That's all right.
1: I um I just I'm just to repeat something else that I know from the interview. I talking about that um Fincher understands the, the atmosphere and the mindset of the characters. He has said, he said in the interview that although he didn't go to Harvard, that he he recognizes in in, in Mark Zuckerberg a person who is a young hotshot and he knows what he wants, and he knows how to get what he wants. All, but he has all these grown-ups and all these people older and more experienced around him telling him that he has to do it a certain way, but he want, he still knows he has to do it his own way. And he, he's, he's going to do it his own way regardless, and they just have to catch up to him where, however many years in the future. And he said that's how he felt when he started out at MTV doing music videos. Yeah. And so he understands that about that kind of mentality.
0: And And what's so beautiful about this movie, what's absolutely incredible about it, and what remains profound to this day is that Mark Zuckerberg had to f- build an entire website to have friends. He, made, oh he was a guy, and it says in the movie, I was your only friend. You had one friend. And he's like, well, yeah, your friend is suing you. for.' <laughs> um, mm. so, but it's, it is interesting that he created a, set, a situation where he could have intimacy that he couldn't have in real life, and you see that in that opening scene. He has as, Eduardo as his friend, and he has friends, but there's something about Mark Zuckerberg that can't connect. Um, And and I think that's just so interesting because ultimately Facebook now has created a problem for people. It's actually driving people more apart and polarizing them Mm. and and building these kind of false friendships. And this is odd sort of um, algorithm driven. Uh, Clarence and I actually talked to a director, (laughs) (laughs) weirdly enough, uh, for the movie The Social Dilemma, which is kind of about trying to undo all the damage that that Facebook and, and Twitter have caused.
1: I'm so glad that, that Tension and Sorkin did the uh, social network in 2010, before people had uh, animosity against it, and before it had actually started to do any. Before, when it was still kind of a wonderful, amazing thing to people around the world, who finally had an, a a, a, chan, an abil- a tool that they could connect with people that they had lost touch with, and connect with people around the world in the ways that they'd never been able to do before and and create an online persona for themselves. That was great back then. If you tried to make that movie even five years later, you wouldn't have been able to portray uh, Zuckerberg so sympathetically because already the reputation and the questions about Facebook and whether or not it was such a good thing or not, those questions had not largely begun, begun to be asked yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, nobody knew. uh, Back in the early days of the internet, um, this Mm. is Facebook. I got online in 1994 and it was right around the time of 2000 when I created my site that people were starting to freak out about the internet. We had like, everybody thought it was going to be this big deal. And then they had this thing called the dot bomb in around Mm. uh, 2000 and people sadly and bizarrely and in typical human fashion decided that the internet wouldn't be profitable because people were too afraid to put their private information online but little by little with Amazon and, and and other things, people started to do that. But I don't think anybody could have conceived of... I don't know if you know that Mark Zuckerberg was, um, the, you know, he was sort of called out for having mocked the fact that people just readily gave him all of their private information. And in fact, when, right. um, when Cambridge Analytica or when um, Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon were trying to target Facebook um, members uh, to suppress the vote in 2016, which should be illegal, by the way. Mm. Um, he, he had all of this information that people had just willingly given him. So when Social Network first came out back in um, 2010, that was the only fear people had, was we're giving away our private information, and why would you want to do that? Why would you want people to know mm-hmm. your every step, your whereabouts? Right. It's like a stalker. And see,
1: that was... That's the genius of Zuckerberg. Is he didn't he didn't want there to be an advertising model at first. But he didn't think that that was the way. He knew he knew somehow that advertising, although the advertising would come later in different ways, that was not the way to monetize it in the beginning. That what was important was the collection of the data, and it wasn't even the data itself that was important, as they bring out in the in the the. Uh, documentary that you and Clarence talked to the director about, The Social Dilemma, they say it's not the data that's important. It's being able to collate and analyze the data and make it make sense and and actually use the data about people to change the way, to change people's behavior. That's what they're selling. They're not selling the data because they wouldn't want to sell the data because then they would be giving away the raw material. But what they're selling is their ability to process the data and make it into uh, behavioral right. Yeah, um, and they alteration. offered
0: it to the Hillary campaign, but they turned they turned it down. And um, that was a dumb move, I think, because I think that if you're going to play against somebody like uh, the Trump campaign, which is willing to do anything to win, you have to mm-hmm. be able to play on that that playing field. I don't know if yeah. they're going to be doing that this year. I would imagine that they are because they're going to oh, pull out so. all the stops.
1: I, yeah, and that, uh, it's going to um, be even worse because – the techniques just are ever-improving. They're always getting mm. better at what they're doing.
0: Apparently, and, you can tell a and, lot about a person. And Mark Zuckerberg had no idea when he built this that this was the case. But apparently, you can tell a lot about a person just by the things that they like, just by the music mm-hmm. that they like, the cities they like, the places they go. You can, you can get to a 90% accuracy Figuring out like what their political party would be, for instance. I mean, it's and shocking. in the
1: social dilemma, they talk about that they 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 measure how long that you look at an image before you click to the next image, or before you scroll right, yeah. or swipe to the next thing. They measure that, and they can by those measurements, looking at what people look at the most, even if it's a fraction of a millisecond. They put all of that together, and they put them in, into algorithms and machine learning, and the machine. Le- takes off on its own and learn and knows how to process the information better than any human would be able to do. oh
0: my God. and it's so creepy that they know um they know like when you're when you're stalking your your ex-boyfriend mm. or whatever, and then they know when you're vulnerable. they know when you're most likely to buy something. like it's just mm-hmm. all really terrible.
1: <laughs> right. but um
0: yeah. but I, I and this think
1: isn't that- all this is by no means is it Zuckerberg's fault. And Fincher has said from the beginning he never meant to make a movie that would um Crucify or even or even criticize Zuckerberg. He wanted to, You don't make a movie about somebody who's a hateful, despicable person unless you want to. Sh- you have to show their sympathetic side, or you're going to lose the audience. No, I mean, I don't care who you are. And so, is that's another. He he never intended to make a movie that would that would be. That would pillory or crucify Zuckerberg. He well, sure, that wasn't his but intention. but the
0: the the thing about it that I always loved it was that it was so like um, I always paralleled it with Citizen Kane, which is why it's ironic and weird that he's making mm. Mank because I feel like Social Network was up against King's Speech and um, Citizen Kane was up against How Green Was My Valley, and that's a very similar kind of dynamic at play. Uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, like William Randolph Hearst, are very powerful um, you know, American icons who had a, you know, who, uh, rose, but, but kind of seemed motivated in both the films. I don't know about the real life people. Obviously Mark Zuckerberg has said this wasn't the case and everybody knows that William Randolph Hearst certainly wasn't, um, as portrayed, uh, in the film, but Citizen Kane, but at the same time, both movies are about people who are disconnected from love and who need love and who sort of build this kind of um empire to get something that they can't get from buying things. You can't mm. get love, you can't get friendship from wealth. It just doesn't happen that way. And so both of these movies departed from the um the the, the true story of the, of their um, protagonist to kind of create this idea of like what is the American dream really about? You know, what is what is power really about? What is wealth really about? What is um, you know rising to the top of your field really about? Um, obviously, what's, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was. What's, what's that quote from Cain? I might have been a really great man if I hadn't been. Rich or something like that, right? Uh, if I hadn't been rich, I might have been a really great man. Yeah,
0: and I something love the like line that. Yeah. in that where he goes, I always used money to, and he goes, you always oh, yeah, used right. money to buy
1: things. To buy things, right. <laughs> to, yeah, buy to buy things. things. That's what I use my money for. <laughs> love She's that a, <laughs> yeah, As if like, yeah, obviously. Statues. I'll stop regurgitating things that I've read in interviews eventually because i run out of them. But I do want to say since you brought up Kane in another interview that I saw with Venture or maybe one of the same ones, he can, he does compare Kane to Zuckerberg, and he says not only that, but in Jedediah Leland, he says he saw the two in, in the um, in Sean Parker and Eduardo. He saw the two sides of Jedediah, mm. and and that Eduardo was the hurt side, the the hurt side of Jedediah, and mm. and so as the as the as the wingman to the protagonist, they play. The same role that Jedediah played in one character rolled into one. So uh, he he was he, he's conscious of that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. He was conscious of that. The same year that he made the movie, because the interview that I read was was from the year that Social Network came out.
0: But um, but so so just quickly getting back to the filmmaking um, part of of uh, uh, Social Network. So um, after you get to that, then then the, the the tension releases a little bit, and you have. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg called up before the the Harvard board, which shows really brilliantly, I think, again, he's a guy in a hoodie with flip-flops, um, you pretentious <laughs> douchebags. Fuck <flip-flops. laughs> you <Fucky laughs> flip-flops, you pretentious <laughs> douchebags, sitting there with this Harvard ad board. They don't know what to make of this guy, right? Because he's saying, like, you know, I if you'd known what you were looking for, you could have found it written on my dorm room window. You guys don't know what you're doing. So it obviously shows that he's way ahead of the game. Um, and then he meets the the Vi, which are a really interesting um, part of this uh, film because Fincher had one actor, Army Hammer, playing the two twins, but he had an, an, another actor sort of standing in for the other twin. But the interesting thing about that is that it reminds me a lot of um, uh, Benjamin Button because you have these visual effects elements that are seamless in this social yeah. network and in Benjamin Button. And I think that, that he's he's really concerned about that. Like, he spends a lot of time making sure that you don't realize that these are the same actor, you know, animated on the head of the, the other actor.
1: Oh, yeah. It is so seamless. And the, and throughout the movie, there's, like, I don't know how many effect shots there are. There's hundreds and hundreds. For instance, the movie was not shot at Harvard because they couldn't get permission from Harvard. They had to shoot it at Johns Hopkins. But in the background, they met it in. um, wow. um towers that are in Harvard and towers that are in Boston in the background so that it looked like that it was in Boston, even though it was Johns Hopkins and it was in a different part of wow. a different you know, city. And so, and uh, there other things throughout the movie where they um, CGI'd elements into the frame that you don't even, you're not even aware of. Boathouses along where they're doing the, the crew race and everything, the boathouse was not there, but in the movie it is. And you don't even, you're not even aware of it because it is so well done. And one more thing. Mean, before we move on about you did mention the thing about the flip flops, um, and Clarence, you were talking about how the style of the movie, how um, the how it um, conveys a message in this in the style of the shots that are chosen. So Fincher says that he knew it's a widescreen movie, and in a widescreen composition, you rarely see the feet of. Of anybody because hmm. the feet are cut off because you, you cut people off of the knees on a screen. So in order to get the flip flops in the shot, he had to start out the shot in the, in the flip flops and then pan up. Oh, and so wow. it was a necessity out, made out of the fact of the f- screen ratio that that's how it had to be shot in order to get the flip flops in there. And so it's a it's a form versus is a form and function thing that the form follows the function of the film.
0: Wow. That's so great. And I, I, um, I love the scene where he, this is so very typical Fincher, which is that there's not an aspect to any of his films that he phones in. The dude does not, know mm. the meaning of the word phoning it in so when he has uh, Bill Gates come to speak at the uh, at the college it's actually a guy who sounds and looks like Bill Gates like it really mm. does look like him and every time I watch the movie I think it's so weird that he got a guy that sounds like Bill Gates like how could he have done that how in the world do you put out a casting call saying mm. I need someone who sa- how, how do you be an actor who knows how to sound like Bill Gates but he has it you know All he right. does it
2: <laughs> Which gives us one of the best jokes in the movie, where the uh, the guy that comes up and says, "Aren't you Mark Zuckerberg?" And he said, "Weren't you in there listening uh, with the guy that sounded just like Bill Gates?" And they're like, "That was Bill Gates." <laughs> Who
0: was that? That was Bill Gates. <laughs> but it's weird because it it um, it it just does it, go back and watch it. You'll see, like he really sounds like it's such a tiny little thing, but it it to me, it's one of those things about the movie that. Makes it perfect. Like I'm telling you, there is no flaw to this film. You can't find one. I've watched it many times, and uh, and uh, you can't find a flaw. And that would be a place where you would find a flaw. Like you would find an actor who doesn't sound like. But he would never do that. That's that's how he is. Like he would make sure mm-hmm. that that person looked and sounded like um, Bill Gates. So so then he goes back, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, he he's doing well. Okay, so he takes the face smash and he um. Uh, there's a great scene where he meets the Winklevi and they offer him the job. And and, uh, and he says, you know, they say to him, you know, this is what our idea is. And the idea is to sell it for exclusivity. And Mark Zuckerberg picks that up. But what I love about that scene is the weird specific of they offer him into the they, – they invite him into the bike room of the finals club, right? So this is a very hmm. sort of Gats- Gatsby-esque status situation where the Winklevi are these rich kids um, – as he says, you know, they're just mad because for the first time in their lives, something didn't work out the way that they wanted it to or the way that they expected it to because everything has always worked out for them in their lives. But um, but but they invite him into the bike room and they give him this weird sandwich. He doesn't know what to do as a sandwich, so he puts it in his pocket. <laughs> he doesn't even eat it. He just goes, okay, thank you, and he puts it. I love that. Um, and he says, you know, um, I I made this this software program, and and they're like, well, why didn't you sell it? He's like, I don't know, I uploaded it for free, and they were like, why? And he just shrugs, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that tells you a lot about him right there too. Like there's always sort mm-hmm. of a battle of um, many different things going on in every scene. There's a battle of class, you know. There's a battle of does she does she like me or doesn't she like when he meets up again with Erica, and you know she kind of dresses him down. He goes over to her and she's hanging out with her friends, looking absolutely gorgeous. Um, Rooney Mara sitting there and, and she's like, you know, uh, the the uh, Internet isn't written in pencil. It's written in ink. Mm-hmm. And you compared women to farm animals. You know, you talked about my bra size on the Internet. And, you know, he says he, he's trying to apologize to her. And she's just like, you know, good luck with your video game. <laughs> and he <laughs> walks away. And then his next line is, we have to expand. And, and it's just so great because it's showing how this this is obviously not true in real life. But the movie very, very clearly draws a line from that opening scene all the way through to the very end. It, it is him trying to reach this point, this pinnacle that he thinks will confirm to him that he's actually finally made it both financially um, and in this way of, like, she finally will respect me. She'll finally love me, you know.
1: Right. I mean, as you said, as we talked about at the very beginning, he, part of the reason she gets offended is because he's making innuendos about her class that she came from and that she wouldn't be where she is or know the people she knows if it weren't for him. And if that's really offensive to someone who goes to Boston college and is doing the best she can and, and is fine in her own right. And she doesn't need, she's not even interested in, in, in attaining the kind of class that he's um, was, pursuing. Absolutely. And she's and, like, you know,
0: he's, he, he's like, he's like the only reason we're sitting here is because you used to sleep with the door guy. And she's like the door guy, his name is Bobby and he's a perfectly fine class of people. You know, and 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 she's uh, she's just getting right. mad at him. And I
1: didn't sleep something. with him. And, and I didn't but, sleep with so, him. And we're and, and then, as you said, when they when they invite him into the the Phoenix Club, they don't bring him into a into one of the cushy, comfortable rooms. They keep him in this investable the of the place, room, yeah. right in the stairwell. And so he can't even sit. Have a place to sit down. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the, he's 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 through the door, but he's not really part of it yet because yeah. they don't invite him even past the, the foyer.
0: Exactly. So he just can't wait to screw <laughs> to screw these guys over. Right. Like yeah. He, you know, he's just and he's using his brains like he does all through the entire film, to wreak havoc and revenge. Mm. And, and yeah, I think it. That... Go ahead. Sorry.
2: I was just gonna say, I think at that moment, that is the moment he decides he's going to to screw them over. Not that he's gonna participate, but because they bring him into bring him into that room and he just gets that close to the Phoenix Club. Mm-hmm. Um that's when he knows he's gonna screw them over.
0: I think so too. I think that that scene is like he's like, fuck you. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna do this just because I can. I can and I'm gonna do it. And he relishes it. But unfortunately, at the same time, his folly is that he also screws over his friend, Eduardo, who um, who does get invited into a finals club and and does get accepted and is ascending. Um, And sort of his weird jealousy about that, his irrational jealousy Mm -hmm. of his friend who's getting things that, that Mark Zuckerberg should be getting. But he's such a strange person that he can't quite get it. He can't get it with his humanness. He needs... Technology to sort of get it for him, you know? And that's kind of what Citizen Kane does, Kane. He can't get it... He doesn't even know how to get it as a human being. He can only get it by buying people. Like one of your statues! <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's like... Uh, Kane is like Zuckerberg, and then he's completely shut off from... In the movie, Zuckerberg. Um, that he's completely shut off from, from the gifts of being a human and existing in the human world and receiving love and kindness and friendship. He doesn't get any of those things, so he has to try to buy them. Um, And and the great thing about his friendship with, with Andrew Garfield is really the only thing about that movie that is the soul of it, the heart and soul of it. He's a guy who, you know, believes in Mark, does his best. He's, he's no genius like him. He's not a Sean Parker type, um, but he, but he's, he's his friend. And you'd think that you would not screw over your friend. So the question for people to figure out about social network is why does Mark Zuckerberg agree to screw over his friend, Eduardo?
1: That's a mystery. I don't know if the movie really answers it. I mean, that I've thought about that a lot, too, because they are, they are such good friends, and they trust each other, and they confide in each other. They give each other good advice, but they don't always hear what the other person is saying, because I think... They're often so wrapped up, or especially Zuckerberg is so wrapped up in what he's thinking that he doesn't he doesn't listen or hear. He listens, but he doesn't hear what what Eduardo's telling him. Well, and uh, because th- of that... Go ahead.
2: No, no, no. Sorry. i totally <laughs> talked over you. I apologize. Go no, ahead.
1: No. Cut me. I didn't have anything else to say. I was <laughs> I was gonna just trail off. <laughs>
2: I I really do think, and this may be simplistic, but I do think it it all ties into Eduardo's success and popularity, increasing popularity with the Phoenix club. It it, it starts in the moment where they're at that, uh, the Jewish fraternity party. I think it's Mm -hmm. a Jewish fraternity party.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, yeah. And they go outside to talk in the cold and that, and they talk about, you know, the needing additional server capacity, I think. And then he ends that conversation with, Oh, by the way, I got invited to, to rush basically. Mm -hmm. And, Eduardo talks himself down by saying they're probably it's just it's probably just a token invitation, and then like five minutes later or maybe it's not five minutes but you know a couple of minutes later a couple of beats later, um, Jesse Eisenberg says, "Yep, that's probably it. It's probably because of who you were. It's probably because like it, it's a it's a token invitation or whatever."
1: Mm, yeah, that, I, uh, you're that's really good, Clarence. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you may be onto something there. That, that was a turning point, wasn't it?
0: And um, can I just bring up the one couple of things about that scene is that um, our friend Marshall is always joking about how bugged Zuckerberg is that there's a, a loop of Niagara Falls <laughs> and it doesn't yeah. match the theme of the Caribbean night because it's not mm-hmm. in the Caribbean. But also that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, like I don't know what it is about David Fincher, but, um, but people seem to always have this need to sort of dress him down. Maybe it's the same thing about, Mark Zuckerberg, maybe the thing about Fincher is that he's always the smartest guy in the room and people resent that, you know. But mm. for some reason, people went after him for the breath that he CGI'd in during that yeah. scene. <laughs> and I have no idea why. I mean, it's authentic. He, David Fincher's thinking they're in Harvard, it's wintertime and they're cold. You're going to see their breath. Mm-hmm. So he CGI'd in the breath, but for but people for some reason, I mean, you can Google it. People actually bring that up as a
1: thing. Oh, I know they did It was so frustrating because it is really well done, but I think. I either read or heard, or I don't know where I got it from, but Fincher has said that it really was genuinely cold that night. He was putting them through the 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 discomfort of being outside in the cold, and it was bitter cold. But there just wasn't hap- there wasn't enough humidity in the air that night to, to actually cause breath to happen. But he said that it was genuinely cold, so he wanted if he was they're going to he's going to put them through that he's going to make sure that it breeds on screen as what he put them through because the whole reason of being outside was to to convey the chilliness of it and so he did it in another way and he did it really well i don't understand I mean, why
2: it wouldn't make sense if he's standing outside and, and it's 20 degrees and there's no and there's no fog coming yeah, out of mouth. right uh-huh.
0: and and fincher is from california so he would be aware of that when you know we californians the, the thing we think about with harvard or anything is we always think the cold. Mm-hmm. You now it's so much different than where we live because it's never cold here. You know, <laughs> so right. he would be very keenly aware of that. But I, what I don't never understood about that is why anybody cared. Like, why was that a thing? Why was it people even talked about that? What did it matter? Mm-hmm. I never even noticed it actually until I.
2: I never did either. But people are assholes, and they're gonna. <laughs> you know, they're gonna. You can't have something nice. There always has yeah. to be something wrong, right? <laughs> actually. Yeah. Um, i want to step back a second i think the moment and, and i want you guys to tell me what you think about this i think the moment mark zuckerberg starts to secretly hate uh, eduardo is when he is coming to the the party and eduardo's across the room and he's got the the hawaiian shirt on with the khaki shorts and he's got that enormous straw hat <laughs> and he Dances across the room in an extremely (laughs) confident yet incredibly dorky movement that I wonder how many times Fincher shot that sequence just to get the right balance of Mm. swagger yet just dork, just unabashed dorkiness. I bet that's the moment he hates him <laughs> the very first time in the movie. He's just, you know that scene, right, where he's, he's oh yeah, absolutely, his, his yeah, he's absolutely,
1: uh huh, and he's he's so comfortable and he's so confident and he's so like he doesn't, he's not self conscious at all. Whereas no. Zuckerberg is self conscious, right, even though he pretends that he's not. And to see someone who can be himself and be so happy and be so comfortable and relaxed and be having such mm-hmm. a good time. Even though Zuckerberg is there right at the same place at the same time, he's not getting the same satisfaction out of being there that, that Eduardo is. So that's got to eat at him. You're right.
2: It's Zuckerberg true. hides in the hoodie, and here he is in, dressed like it's in the Caribbean, and he's pulling him outside to punish him. Zuckerberg is dressed for the cold, and uh, Eduardo is not.
1: Mm, that's interesting. Mm. I think, too. I think Fincher has said that, that, was, that he, he wasn't expecting Edu, uh, um, What's the actor's name. Yeah, Garfield. Uh, He wasn't expecting Garfield to do it that way, but as soon as he saw him do it, he thought to himself, this guy's going to be a huge star. he He was so happy that he had cast him in the role because he was coming up with these things on his own that he didn't even have to be directed or told what to do.
0: Yeah.
2: And Uh, that was when I knew Social Network wasn't going to win Best Picture when Andrew Garfield didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Oh,
0: God. That that is just a tragedy to talk about. But before we get to the Oscar part of it, um, (laughs) uh, the thing about the interesting thing about the second half of the movie is how much Mark Zuckerberg goes along with the bizarre way that with the wonderful Justin Timberlake as uh um what's his name? Sean Parker humiliates Andrew Garfield through so the entire second part. Like you see it at their when they're having the sushi dinner and um and Mark Zuckerberg's like, yes, that's exactly yeah they that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and Andrew Garfield, or you know, is Eduardo is getting increasingly frustrated with that conversation because he's listening to everything Mark is saying, and Mark and, and Sean Parker are, are developing this bond, and Eduardo's um, you know, taken out of it, and even his girlfriend is taken in by um, by him, you know, with their apple teenies. <laughs> they all have <laughs> apple teenies. He
2: took us through his episode with Napster. I didn't want to spend my 20s as a professional defendant. Who knew? The music industry doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> we tried to sell the company to pay the $35 million they said we owed in royalties, but I guess to them that was a little like selling a stolen car to pay for the stolen gas. So we said, screw it. Declare bankruptcy. You made a name for yourself. And you are dry. <laughs> Tori.
0: <laughs> no, I'm good. He's obviously kind of acting like a jealous girlfriend in a way at their relationship, you know, because um, Sean Parker totally takes over, but it would be one thing if Sean Parker wanted them to all work together, but he very clearly doesn't. He very clearly keeps um, making fun of, of Eduardo and, and, and mentioning him when, when he's alone with Mark, with Mark Zuckerberg saying like, of course, Eduardo doesn't come here. Of course he's in New York or whatever it is. And, and um, mm. and so he's driving this wedge between the two of them. Um, but I love I love the, the way that David Fincher films that nightclub scene. And I love the way that, that Justin Timberlake tells that story of the Victoria's secret empire Mm -hmm. and the model that he says, you know, your girlfriend looks so familiar. And he tells the story about the guy who invented Victoria's secret, um, who invented this. and, And as a parable for Mark Zuckerberg, which is, you know, he's, his, his, his mission is to kind of get him to cut, um, um, Eduardo Luce, right? That has to be, mm. that's important to the film because it is really the punchline of the whole story is how he got sued by his friend and, you know. But but that that scene where he's in this nightclub, watch it, go back and watch it, watch how it's filmed. It's not, the the music is original. He sometimes, Fincher sometimes deviates from the, the Reznor-Ross score a couple of times in the movie. And this is one of those where he's playing the disco music and he's going into the nightclub. And they're sitting there and they can't really hear each other. And so he's shouting, I had to watch this movie like so many times before I heard, I understood what the story was. I'm sorry, but my (laughs) brain is very slow. But it took me a while to like fully absorb what he was saying in that story about that guy who, Mm. you know, started the Victoria's Secret and then sold it before it became a billion dollar company. And then when he found that out, he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge.
1: Mm. See, that, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, and, and going back to what you two were saying just a little bit earlier about the, when they when Sean Parker's first introduced into the into the movie, and that what Fincher has said that he felt like that that Sean Parker was the dark side of Jedediah uh, Leland, is when when sometimes you don't always pick up on what role a character is playing in the movie until you've seen it one or two times. But you're getting signals, you're getting visual signals anyway. At least I feel like you are, and I. I've always, I've noticed in a lot of different movies, especially in Fincher's movies, the way he uses the color red. And one of the things that, another yeah. thing that people started criticizing, uh, not criticizing, but joking to, about the way that Fincher's palette in his movies is always sort of a yellowish um, um, monotone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he uses primary colors very sparingly. So when he does show us a primary color, they jump off the screen at me. But what I noticed in The Social Network, not the first time I saw it, but maybe second or third time, is when Sean Parker comes in and meets them in the restaurant scene. In the mm-hmm. background of the restaurant, it's got these high yeah. ceilings, and there these two red banners that hang from uh, ceiling to the floor. They wow. extend the whole, and they frame Sean Parker on either side of him, and that's really the first time that you see a bright red in the entire movie. And it, and it, it and whether you realize it or not, so I think subliminally, you associate the color red with danger or even yep. evil. Mm. And to me, when I see that now, I can't not see that Sean Parker stepped in and he's like a Mephistopheles character. Oh my God. Like, that's
0: so brilliant, Ryan, because that's I'll show exactly it, yeah. what that scene is about.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll screenshot it so you can post it. We'll post it along when we post it. But I've noticed it. That's one of the first things. One of the first times I really noticed that what Fincher's doing subliminally to us with color, especially the color red, and it was nice that Fincher confirmed it for me when we talked to him on the phone that time, that he said, yes, he's aware that that's there, but he doesn't overdo it because he knows he has to use it sparingly.
0: Uh, you know, I want to check something with you to see if you think this is right, you guys. Um, so if 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 Justin Timberlake plays the embodies the dark character, but um but Eduardo is the isn't it odd that Eduardo is always in dark clothes and in darks, whereas Justin Timberlake is always the opposite? He's always in lighter.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Eduardo is not only in dark clothes, but he's in neutral clothes. He's in grays and browns, which is like, you don't know whether he's good or bad because his his colors are neutral, and you're left in the dark about whether and and because he, and he's also um, an intermediary type of character, which is also and Fincher does that all the time in his movies too. Costume colors indicate a characters' role in the hierarchy of the of the cast. I think.
2: Well, when um when you see. Uh, Sean Parker in that scene. I've got it in front of me. I was trying to screenshot it, but you can't screenshot sequences from Netflix on an iPad. Sorry,
1: mm. um,
2: oh. he's he's wearing a black suit.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. See, I I um, I I'm trying to visualize it in my head. I know I've I've seen it. I noticed it a long long time ago. I even did a tweet about it one time, like years and years ago. But he
0: isn't wearing um, a black suit, he's parading around in his brightest. Yeah. No, yes.
1: True.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that. Yeah, Fincher loves Hitchcock. I think the, the the usage of the red is something he picks up from Hitchcock because Hitchcock mm-hmm. used color very compellingly, particularly in something like Marnie.
1: Mm-hmm. It's expressionistic is what it is. Yes. It's expressionistic use of color. And um, a lot of directors do it but if I don't do it right it, it look it's clumsy looking another director that does it really well is Jordan Peele he did it really well in Get Out he uses the color red in Get Out really well anyway that's off the top no no
0: red is a very cinematic color Hitchcock uses actually weirdly enough uses a lot of blue also especially mm-hmm. in Vertigo um, and in Rear Window both those movies are really enhanced by the color he uses color blue and color red as juxtapositions I think of, of um Of color, I Ryan with this um, this red in uh, Gone Girl is very very specific and very interesting. Gone Girl is another one that has the visual cues of the beginning of the movie versus the second half of the movie. The light, and it's the same with Social Network. Like when he's at Harvard and he's in the Harvard world and he's in the East Coast versus he has to differentiate when he gets to the West Coast when he gets to Palo Alto. Everything opens up and it's brighter and it's lighter. You know, the first thing we he goes, he goes, he's moving to Palo Alto. Why? Well, why do you think? And then the next shot is Sean Parker having slept with this girl who happens to be Dakota, <laughs> Dakota uh, Johnson, who ends up becoming a huge star. But she she has a very small part in this. She's great in it. Um, she she plays this college girl that Sean Parker is sleeping with, um, sleeping on. She's sleeping mm-hmm. on Sean Parker. So she goes into the shower and he he looks at her computer. It's this old Mac and and he sees that she's on the Facebook, and that's how he figures out that you know he wants to go and meet Mark Zuckerberg. But but the thing that's that's remarkable about that, if you watch uh, the movie back, is how the how visually it changes to this light bright California world whenever Sean Parker is present, mm-hmm. as opposed to the Eduardo. Harvard world, which is, is kind of dark and browns and, you know, it's different from California. I just love the way that he, he differentiates the two worlds. Like you, you have no question that you're in California when you're watching the two of them in that scene because it's so light and so bright, so sunny. And she's Mm -hmm. talking about juice Mm -hmm. in the refrigerator, you know, and it's just the attitude of it is so different. That's, I mean, maybe it's only like a Californian like me would notice, but it, it, to me, it really does make a difference between the two worlds of Silicon Valley, which is where um, Mark Zuckerberg is about to go and conquer, versus the academia of you know the old kind of stodgy world of Harvard. It's an interesting visual difference.
2: Mm-hmm. Talking about visuals, wh- when they get to the, and i I think I've read this before, but I can't remember the the answer to it. But when. Um, Fincher films the Winklevoss uh, rowing sequence. I think in the UK, is it right. is it at Cambridge?
0: Is it Ryan? You know,
1: I don't. I just don't know. I don't know um, for sure. Yeah.
2: Well, he. F- it's when he plays uh, Hall of the Mountain King on now, the,
0: now, the soundtrack. Yeah.
2: It's the only time in the film that we shift into a really different camera lens. You know, it almost looks like miniatures, the whole space.
1: Oh, right. It's that, what is that technique where they, they do that? It's, they, they, it's like it makes it look like little toys, right? Little, little yes. tiny miniature toys. I forget the name of that.
2: Um, why do you think he employs that there? I, I know he's spoken to it. I just can't remember the, the, the hmm. justification.
0: I think my own personal take on that when he switches to them is um, – is to really show how uh, militarized their kind of life is as rowers. like I think that that, that he, he, if, 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 if the Winvi think that they're they're in a race, right? And they think that the race is, this is why it's key when he says, you know nobody should apologize for losing a race like that because they lose the race. And then in that same sequence he has to he you know he's like uh, uh, you know they're saying you, you got to sue. We're gentlemen of Harvard, you know, and and he he's very resistant to suing. But at the end of that sequence, he says, "Let's gut the bastard," you know. So they have to show the gamesmanship of the Winklevie like that. They're competitive. Mm. I'm a competitive rower. You don't have to. What does he say? You don't have to school me on the, you know, on on winning. I can't remember that line. I can't remember it. Mm. But but um, of getting there first or something like that. You don't have to school me on getting there first because I'm a competitive rower. So so he has to. Sh- they have to show. These guys' place in the in the athletic world of rowing, and I feel like that's why it shifts so dramatically over to them because they have to be seen as these, you know, really kind of militaristic competitors, and they're being beaten by this like hoodie wearing, you know, idiot from (laughs) from Mm -hmm. wherever he's from. So I think that the the, I think it works because it shows it shows institutional success, the institutional competitiveness of these. Of these guys where, you know, they're losing a race, right? They lose that race that they're winning and he has to show them losing it. And um, if they're winning, that's a whole different scene. But he's showing them losing. So he's he's introducing you to a scene that's about to motivate them to sue Mark Zuckerberg. And,
1: and also, and also, also of, but, yeah, you go ahead. Is that, is, 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 no, it's no, the, no, no, go ahead. I was going to say that it sort of. In a way, it in a way that, it, and at the same time, it exalts the militarization and the and the stateliness of it. It also trivializes it because it makes them look like little toys.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so, Clarence, you go ahead now. And that's no, called I was by say it's. <laughs> <ahead. I'm> sorry, <laughs> it's called tilt shift photography. It's what is what that technique is called. It's called tilt shift, and it's you it's can gorgeous. do it with the still camera too. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry.
2: Um, what I also found interesting about that sequence after is they're trying, they, they've lost that race. And they're, you can almost get the sense that they are trying to do that to get the approval of their father. Right. Um, and it's, you know, they are be- they lost the race. They've been beaten by the hoodie-wearing, uh, fuck you flip-flops-wearing kid. Yeah. They're using technology to try to make a name for themselves, just like he's trying to use technology to win friends. Right, the, uh, a, yeah. a vague parallel between the two of them, right. or the three of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they have to highlight the defeat of the Winklevi, Like, that's key to... I mean, it's funny because they never really lived that down. Like, they've, they've been sort of known throughout the rest of their lives as these petty, um, litigious guys who sue people all the time. And, and Mark Zuckerberg's like, fuck you. I did a much better job. I mean, he he definitely deliberately screwed them over. Like, I think that's clear from the movie. Um, but But it's also clear that they are guys who he appropriately accuses of having things work out for them. So when you're watching that scene where they're rowing, that's one really good example, vivid example, of something not working out for them and motivating them to then sue Zuckerberg to take out their rage on him. We're failing... You know we can't even get this thing. You know we are supposed to be the kings. You know we're supposed to have this success. This was ours. And one of the greatest scenes in the movie, by any measure, is the scene where they confront um, the Larry Summers, the the guy who runs Harvard. That whole scene is so funny. Everything about it is funny. From them coming in. Oh, the in, doorknob. The doorknob, four hundred year old doorknob, <laughs> and when she says, "This this building is older than the city it's in," and they're like, "We're sitting in chairs," and then he comes, uh-huh. and they come in, and and uh, and he's like, "I read the letter, and you're here because you know," and and he says, "You know, well, because Mark Zuckerberg stole our idea," and Larry Summers just looks over at the woman, and he says, "Anne." punch me in the face. <laughs> like he can't stand these guys and he totally dresses them down. And that's a really funny story because when, when uh, Fincher hired that guy, he picked, uh, there is a whole story that goes along with this, which I don't remember because it's been so long, but the actor that he chooses to play that part. Is, which part
1: now? Which role?
0: You know, Larry Summers, the, the guy president. who had oh, okay, okay. yeah, Harvard. Yeah, yeah. I think he's like not an actor. I think he's just somebody that David Fincher knew. But he oh. knew that he would be so perfect for this part, and he is. Like he just plays it so brilliantly. It's it's really one of the best scenes in the movie. It's the one scene that my daughter and I quote to each other all the time. We always say we're sitting in chairs. <laughs> for you know, we just which, we just love this scene.
2: But there's which is interesting because that the chairs comes up again in a different scene where uh, I think it's earlier in the film where Zuckerberg says. Just because you sit in a chair, every time you sit in a chair doesn't mean that you pay, or every time somebody makes a chair doesn't mean you you pay the person who originally made a chair right, or something like right. that. I'm I'm butchering mm-hmm. the quote, but it, uh, yeah, no. and um, then he
0: goes, so if they could have invented Facebook, they would have invented Facebook.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, um, it's it's great, and and it's it's also you know I don't know if we're we're there yet, but but one thing I love about the movie is the the way that he bookends it with women. And the word asshole, you know, at the beginning, mm-hmm. it's Erica Albright saying, you know, it will be because you're an asshole. And then at the end, she says to him, the legal aid says, um, you know, uh, you're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be one. You know, right. it's, it's just such a great way to open and close. That, that's obviously Aaron Sorkin, needless to say. But um, But we come a long way in that movie. We come a long way from that opening scene of him with Erica Albright. To the last scene with him sitting there with the legal aid. Um, her name is. Oh my God! Help me out here, guys. She. Oh, you mean her real name? Yeah.
2: Oh, it's um, uh, Rashida Jones.
0: Rashida Jones, yeah, Rashida Jones as the. Um, she works the wadir of the trial, and she she tells him, you know, what he can and what he can't get away with. But um, but the visual differences between those two scenes where he's kind of sitting there, he doesn't know who he is yet. He hasn't made a success. He hasn't made a name for himself. But but by the end, when he's talking to her, he still doesn't really know how to talk to women, right? Because she offers him some mm. of her salad. She offers him kind of friendship. But he, he's very resistant to it. He's still just staring at his computer. And the very last scene is him... Um, trying to friend uh, through Facebook, Erica Albright, who's actually on Facebook, of course, because everybody's <laughs> was on Facebook. Um, I just I love the two sort of bookend scenes with the two different women, and how he's filmed and how it shows that he he made all this money, he got all this success, but it really didn't change much for him, you know. And mm-hmm. then the, the last song, yeah. of course, you know, how does it feel to be one of the beautiful people? that song plays over the credits and uh and how does it feel well it doesn't feel very good it's sort of like the end of citizen kane where kane you know he doesn't he had this 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 enormous house he had all this wealth but what did it amount to for him
2: And visually, I and and sonically, really, I love how it bookends the film with him starting in the bar. He's surrounded by people. He's surrounded by, they may not be friends, but he's he's amongst people. You hear them, you hear them talking, and then in the end, he is in a glass box, completely (laughs) isolated from the world. Yeah. Except for Facebook.
0: (laughs) Right. That's all he's got, Facebook, like so many of the rest of us. (laughs) I am proud to say that I have quit Facebook for the last... Um, I don't know how long it's been, but nothing has ever felt as good to me in my life as quitting Facebook. So
1: (laughs) So proud of you. That's great. We'll see how
0: long it can last. But for now, it's just like that was really... I mean, Twitter is bad enough on its own, but Twitter I find is manageable, you know, but Facebook isn't for me for some reason. I don't know why, What the difference is, but...
1: I, I was never on Facebook, but it's always seemed to me. And the reason I was never on Facebook, it always just seemed like way too intimate and personal for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's very intrusive. And if you're and, uh,
0: if you're in these intimate and personal relationships with people, and your mind starts to change as mine has, and you start to argue with them or you start to disagree with them a little bit, you can you can encounter some very volatile reactions from people that you know that you known for a long time. And, uh, and you're wondering why is this medium in between us? Why are we having this mm. conversation with this, this medium in between us in front of all these people that can like, you know, something that we're saying that's not very nice to about another person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a weird situation. Like why is this thing accommodating us to talk to each other? It doesn't seem
1: necessary
0: and yet, at the same time, I know that by quitting it, I end up losing contact with a lot of people. You know that I
1: know. That's the that's the great attraction of it is to stay in touch with people that you would otherwise not have any way, not any convenient way, to even find, much less stay in touch with. Because I think Facebook has helped a lot of people reunite after being separated for years and years from high school or whatever. Because there's ways to search people and to through various means i suppose i don't know and but so that's the temptation and attraction of it but as they say in the social dilemma documentary it ends up putting people just alone in their rooms and by themselves instead of together in the same room with with friends right right i go to i go to email just now to send you to some some screenshots from the movies and i see that clarence has been sending us um uh Screenshots too. So, in the <laughs> same ones. I think one of the screenshots I sent to you is the same one, Clarence, that you sent to me.
2: <laughs> Pretty close.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I, you notice it in the two shot. The two shot of the, the of the show of the woman, Sean Parker, between mm-hmm. Sean Parker and the girl. There's a bright red spot. There's an It's even more. It's even a hotter red spot between the two of them because of the light on the wall and the distance between them. And you don't see any reds in that movie at all until that until he shows up on screen. There's an absence of red completely in the movie until he shows up. Hmm.
2: I also sent you a picture of the moment where Andrew Garfield hears on the phone that they've sort of, they've got the, um, the venture capitalist funding and they're going to open the Facebook office out in Palo Alto. Um, uh-huh. the, 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 I just happened to pause it on like what I think is the perfect moment to capture the emotion on Andrew Garfield's face. I check your emails. Cause
1: I, it's such saw a that. Yeah. I wasn't sure what, what you were sending it for, but now I understand. Yeah. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love how, I don't love how, I think it's amazing how this movie depicts a guy screwing over his friend in such a sort of a cold way, the way that they, and 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 he has and she has to say it the lawyer has to say it how many you know how many shares were were his how much marked down were his shares and how much marked down were his shares and then they get to eduardo and it's like you know nothing he gets nothing and then it cuts to that last final scene where um where eduardo finds out about it and walks over to Mark, and he's like, Mark? And he's like, he's wired in. He's what? He's wired in. He's what? Smash, you know? Mm-hmm. That <laughs> whole- right, yeah,
1: yeah. How about now? You're still wired in? Call security. You issued 24 million new shares of stock.
2: You were told that if new investors How came along. How much were your
1: shares diluted? How
2: much were his?
0: What was Mr. Zuckerberg's ownership share diluted down to?
1: It wasn't.
2: What was Mr. Moskowitz's ownership share diluted down to?
1: It wasn't.
0: What was Sean Parker's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Peter Thiel's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. And what was your ownership share diluted down to? 0.03%.
2: You signed the papers. You set me up? You're gonna blame me because you were the business head of the company and you made a bad business deal with your own company? This is gonna be like I'm not a part of Facebook. It won't be like you're not a part of Facebook. You're not a part of Facebook. My name's on the masthead. You might want to check again. It's because I froze the account? You think we were gonna let you parade around in your ridiculous suits pretending you were running this company? Sorry,
1: my Prada's the cleaners, along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip flops, you pretentious douchebag.
2: Security's here, you'll be leaving now? I'm not signing those papers. We will get the signature. Tell me this isn't about me getting into the phoenix. You, you did it. I knew you did it. You planted that story about the chicken. I didn't plant the story about the chicken. What's he talking about? You me accused of animal cruelty. Seriously, what the hell's the chicken?
1: And I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as a co-founder of Facebook, which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. Okay, I'm going. Hang on. I almost forgot. Here's your $19,000. I wouldn't cash it, though. I drew it on the account you froze. I like sitting next
0: to you, Sean. It makes me look so tough. That, to me, is like... Every scene in the movie is is... It, is the work of a of a very gifted director who knows exactly what he's doing, working with a great script and great editors. But that scene to me really pulls it all together and shows you what David Fincher can really do because it, so many things are happening at once in that whole sequence and even afterwards because afterwards, after Eduardo leaves, then you have that whole weird thing with Ashley, the girl who's working there who's like underage, um, who walks over, and 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 there's still that weird dynamic between... Mark Zuckerberg and women and a girl he can't really talk to. And then Sean Parker, he's like, are you guys involved or whatever? And he's like, uh, no, a little bit, you know? And, and, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, it's an interesting thing between the three of them, which is kind of like, you know, taking you back to the beginning of the movie and Mark with, with women and his, his sort of clumsiness and awkwardness around them. But I love how, Uh, You know, that whole scene with Eduardo coming over and saying, I'm not coming back for 30%. I, you know, I'm coming back for everything. You know, you better lawyer up, asshole, he says, you know, this is Mm -hmm. like the crescendo of the movie. Um, And he says, you know, I love standing next to you, Sean. It makes me feel so tough. And then he leaves. Like, that is an incredible crescendo of a movie because you know that he does. I mean, if you look up Eduardo Saverin right now and you find out how much he sued Mark Zuckerberg for, it's an insane amount of money. He did come back for everything. And he did take a huge amount of money from Mark Zuckerberg, who had to have known that he would sue. But he just... Had to do it, you know. He had to do it to him. He had to do it mm-hmm. personally to hurt him, because he says, you know, it's it's because I got into the Phoenix. You know, you were mad at me because the, you planted that story about the chicken.
2: The you chicken. Know,
0: <laughs> you planted that story, and he's like, "What the hell is the chicken?" And he's like, "You did. You planted because you couldn't stand that they, you know, that they wanted me in there and not you." Um. And it's just it's such a great moment between two friends where one guy got something that the other guy didn't, and, and the other guy had to punish him for it. It's mm-hmm. just it's just a really beautifully uh directed scene. The whole thing is perfect as you would come come to expect from David Fincher. Um but what I love about it is that when I listen to the soundtrack, which I do a lot, just the whole thing, you know, I just listen to it from mm-hmm. beginning to end. The music is so integral to this movie. That every time you hear a song or a music cue, you know exactly where you are. You know exactly what shot it is. You know exactly what line of dialogue it is. I mean, if you've seen it enough times.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Because they don't just use uh, Atticus Ross and, and Trent Reznor. They don't just use music. They use these weird sound effects, you know, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this kind of odd, if you listen to it through, especially that last scene, where he's like, I'm coming back for everything. Listen to the music in that scene. Um, and the sounds that they're using—it's—it's it's really interesting.
1: Because it's the Nine Inch Nails guys, and they are—they yeah. do that for their club music, right? They do that kind of throbbing, metallic sort of thing for their for their club music, or it did before they started scoring motion pictures, right? Yeah. Because they were Nine Inch Nails, and they so they they were they were they were doing that at the same time that Fincher was getting his started at, at MTV. I do have to say, we've talked so much about the visuals, and I think maybe twice I've I've missed I've said. Jordan Cronenweth was the cinematographer when actually it was Jeff. Jordan was Jeff's father. And Jordan Cronenweth, of course, um, was a cinematographer for Blade Runner and Altered States. And another thing I found out about the two of the Cronenweth family is that Jeff Cronenweth's grandfather was a still photographer for Lady Lady from Shanghai with Orson Welles. He was a still photographer on set. So that's how far the family goes back in Hollywood with cameras. And 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 another connection to Orson Welles.
0: Wow, it's fascinating, and I, I love the cinematography in this movie. You know, I love it. And and by the time it got to the Oscar race, like there were so many weird things going on during the race that that didn't have anything to do with the two movies, but I I know it, it wasn't a movie that could ever win. A movie like that with a dark um, theme. With a character like that up against the King's speech, like it—it it was a tough mm. sell because people really felt Ryan. You remember this? Like their ad campaign was some movies you feel,
1: right? And it was Which a- was a, a deliberate jab at 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 the criticism for Social Network that it was chilly and the the totally wrong impression that has been spread or per- perpetrated against Fincher that he is also chilly, and we know right. he's not. We know he's not chilly he's at not all. Chilly. He's totally not chilly, and,
0: and the other nasty yeah. rumor that was going around at the time was that he really wanted to win the Oscar, and it was such an unfair thing to say because it, he just didn't care. But they were spending all this money on, um, on winning an Oscar, Sony, and so whoever was doing the sabotage on Social Network, they did a really good job because people thought all of these things about the movie and him that just weren't true, flat-out mm-hmm. weren't true. Well,
1: it was, it something Harvey, about right? Sony, I mean, Sony it makes Harvey, some fantastic... Yeah. yeah, there was Harvey, definitely. It was Harvey, and, and he knows how to work the, the crowd in the right way. But another thing about Sony Columbia... They have not won a Best Picture Oscar since The Last Emperor. And even The Last Emperor was not a movie that they produced under their own auspices, but they bought it after it was already finished from European producers. So something about when Sony came to Hollywood and took over Columbia Studios, there was there's a resentment there possibly that some people have never gotten over that a, that a Japanese company came in and took over an American film mm-hmm. company and changed the and at the same time they invaded the MGM lot and and took over MGM and destroyed that legacy too because Sony Columbia became was is where the old MGM lot stood right and not since 19 the mid 1980s has Sony Columbia ever won best picture so that's bizarre isn't it of yeah. all the studios that have won multiple times that Sony Columbia never has and it may be nothing but i mean i think it's I, it's peculiar that, they, that that's the way it has turned out. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Fincher won, he, he won the BAFTA Fincher and Sorkin. And, and, uh, I think I forget what else kept winning that year. They won they both won the BAFTA. They both won the golden globe. They both won the broadcast film critics association. And I think that when a movie that's dark like that, if people don't have, I think a movie that's dark, can win or could could win back in the 1970s when a lot of movies were dark, like in 1976, for instance, when all of the movies were dark except Rocky. They went for Rocky, which was the least dark of all, and 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 Network and Taxi Driver and what else was nominated that year? Was well, it all the, the Presidents Men. Men? Yeah, right. Were all dark and bleak in a way. But the, what one was the upbeat movie? If they have an upbeat option, they will always opt for that option but if there's but if they have a lot of dark to choose from like between godfather and cabaret for instance then one of those can win but just not anymore not not when they have a choice that's what you said sasha when they have a choice to go for a a movie that leaves you with a good feeling at when the credits roll, then that's the one they ordinarily go. Yeah, goes. I mean,
0: what they do is—is is what I figured out. I finally cracked the code. They—they they mm. have to vote for something that makes them feel good. So it's either mm. they're voting for the filmmakers because they've never won before, like the Coens or Catherine Bigelow or mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese. Um, and I would I would put uh, Bong Joon-ho in that category, not because he'd never won and he was overdue, but because awarding him felt so good. Mm -hmm. And not just because his movie was great, but because they were awarding a foreign language movie and because he himself had been out. Clarence knows he was at a party with him. Um, He was at every single party and people were just Every single one. Yeah, and no, He was were, just so
1: charming everywhere he went. He was just charming the pants off of everybody wherever he went. And that was Tom went, Hooper he, in oh, yeah.
0: 2010. Tom Hooper was mm-hmm. everywhere. Fincher was never going to play that game.
1: Yeah, like, he never. doesn't. He doesn't he doesn't go on talk shows. You never see Fincher or David Fincher on a talk show. He wouldn't. Yeah. He's got better better things to do, more important things. And I'm so he's I've talked about the interview so much. It should be noted that he rarely even gives an interview. He rarely grants he really interviews doesn't. to anyone. He's
0: not he's not that guy and he's not no. into Oscar campaigning. Um, Bong Joon-ho kind of just did it as as a funny thing like he didn't really care that much I don't think like I don't think he cared about winning an Oscar honestly mm,
1: but he was right. just
0: out there he was like yeah okay whatever you know put me out there but he was so funny and charming and likable he has so much charisma that guy that um, that he won people over but and I remember Tom Hooper did that Danny Boyle did it. Um, you know, you have to do that. You have to play the game in a way um,
1: to go around and shake win. hands and and uh, schmooze and and chit chat and stuff like that. And hey, he's just not the type of person. No. Also, I do think too. In two thousand and ten, I think for a lot of the older Oscar voters, they they weren't on Facebook and they. Facebook was relatively not so much a phenomenon ten years ago, and they probably didn't even. They probably thought it was a trivial subject compared to World War II stuttering guy. You well, know? I,
0: and I remember back then it was like he's. People thought of him as an asshole. Why we're going to award this movie about this asshole? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because right. they never, um, in yeah.
0: all the years that I've been covering the Oscars, never once have I seen them award a film because it was a good movie. There's always a, another reason mm-hmm. why they're picking it. And Because you have to think about that. When you think about thousands of people voting for something, they're not just going to vote. Um, you know, they, need, they need some sort of emotional connection to whatever it is they're voting for. And they have to mm-hmm. feel like they're yeah. doing something good with their vote and, and, uh, and, and, and never. That's why Citizen Kane didn't win in 1941. It didn't win mm-hmm. because they, people had no emotional connection. They were never just going to say, this is a great movie. And it deserves to win because it's great. That's what film critics do. Mm. But that's not mm. what the industry would do. That's not what... It the
1: does. individual branches of the Academy all in their own small way when you only have like... And back then, we, we forget how really small the Academy was back then. Now there's like 9,000 members. J- seriously, literally. But it's, like, it's, it's even 9, worse. people. But back then, it wasn't even 3,000. It was maybe 1,500 people. And so each, each category, each branch was only... A couple hundred people, and and Citizen Kane did get 12 nominations because the craftspeople in all the branches un- recognized that it was something that they had never seen before, something beyond and above what yeah. they'd ever seen before. They but in the final that. analysis, when you see the, the list of nominees, we'll never know how much Citizen Kane lost by. Maybe it only lost by Fifty votes, or could have been a could have been a thousand. Who We'll never know. And I have the same feeling about about social network and King's speech. I like to always think that when a movie that I loved so dearly loses, that I like to think that it only lost by a little. I like to think maybe it was only. 50 he does. Votes Ryan that definitely goes
0: by that. I always look at it like. They they need an emotional reason to vote for something, and they're not mm-hmm. going to just pick it because it's a, it's a good movie. But I'll tell you yeah, this. Sure. I was vindicated and very happy when everybody who knows Awards Daily, who's been following this site, knows that I've, for quite a few years, lost my mind over David Fincher movies, especially Gone Girl, wherein I was ridiculed for championing it for a better part of a year. And then it was mostly shut out at the Oscars. But I did the same thing with Dragon Tattoo, which ended up with uh, a a nomination for Rooney Mara. But -hmm. the cool thing about that, one of the coolest things that's ever, and this is the next year that I'll be doing the, uh, the awards daily um, podcast, um, is that the Dragon Tattoo. um, Wait, did I already miss that? Was I think that was the artist year. So I think I've already done that podcast.
1: Oh, shoot. Mm, I don't know. Surely not, because you, no, you've, I, only, I just, couldn't you've have only just now done social network. I, and I, so, I would have done yeah.
0: dragon tattoo in the in the podcast, yeah. so I didn't do that. but But mm-hmm. what I loved about that night was um was that the uh, the uh, the Dragon Tattoo won editing. And it was mm-hmm. very unusual for it to win because usually editing goes to a movie that that has a best picture nomination, but but um, this one didn't. I think you have to go back to like bullet in 68 to find a year where, where the same kind of dynamic thing played out, where the movie that, that won didn't have. And so I was really happy about that because that told me that they really liked David Fincher and they really mm-hmm. wanted that movie to be featured and it should have been been nominated. He got nominated for for every nomination heading into the Oscars, just not the Oscars. He got even a DGA nomination for Dragon Tattoo.
1: Right. I think the thing about Dragon Tattoo is that because it was such a dark movie to come out at Christmas that I think, and it was it was quite expensive. It was over a hundred dollar, hundred dollar, hundred million dollar budget, and so you're already looking at, okay, this has to make a ton of money in order to break even. And at first, it didn't appear at Christmas that it was going to do that. But I remember, I know how you like you write, you 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 do um, cover David Fincher's and his movies uh, really well. But sometimes you think you're doing too much. And so I remember you you wrote, you emailed me, and you said. I think I've been writing about Fincher too much this season. Can you write up something <laughs> about, about, uh, about Dragon Girl and Dragon Tattoo? And I said, I've got this. Don't worry about it. And I did a thing spe- specifically focusing on Rooney Mara. And I, the first line was, Rooney Mara has got me by the balls. <laughs> Because that's what she does in the movie, you know, with the guy that she tattoos. That was the first line of the thing that I wrote up about her. And then I for like a thousand words, and I just raved about her. And that was such a controversial post on the site that it got like 550 comments. <laughs> I know. And a lot of those comments were me defending my position because people were trying to ridicule me for saying that about the movie, for being so over the moon about the movie. And so you know how I am on Twitter and on, on the site, too. I'm like a dog with a brag, you know, you just kind of you can't get it away from me. I'm just going to fight to the bitter end. And so uh, about half of those 550 comments were me be- battling back, but it's okay. No, it's fine. I really, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to say that I am glad for the side and, and proud of us that we saw what those movies were. And a lot of people, oh, I know. And I'm this.
0: happy to see people finally reevaluating Gone Girl. Cause I got so, mm-hmm. I got so yeah. much shit from people for praising it, but
1: I will say one more thing about Dragon Tattoo. I do think that because it got off to a slow start on Christmas holidays that that it didn't do the opening weekend that everyone thought it needed to do. It did cost like and hanging a ninety million dollar budget. But it worldwide it ended up early, earning like a quarter of a billion dollars. It did okay. It, it you know, it, it 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 broke even. But I think it just got off to such a slow start that it had the stigma of not making the movie that people not making the money that people thought that it ought to, and that and, and it never was able to shake that off. But one of the biggest heartbreaks, what I was getting at, the heartbreak about that is because it it didn't meet expectations, venture didn't get to do the whole trilogy. And I I really I would have really liked to see that happen. Yeah. And she, for a long time, they kept Rooney Mara under contract, I think for like a year before they realized that part two was never going to happen.
0: Right. She said she mm. wouldn't do it unless he did it.
1: Yeah, that too. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, but, you know, he went He went smaller. He's doing Mank, uh, and uh, we'll see where that goes. But um, very exciting that he's making a movie that's coming out. Mm.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a... It's a banner. How long have we had to wait? It's been six years since he's had a feature film, right?
0: I think gone girl, you know, there's always that movie that a a director will sort of lose their desire to fight with the studios. And Mm. with, uh, with David uh, Lynch, it was definitely, um, uh, inland empire that sort of killed any desire he ever had to make a feature film again. And he Mm. hasn't made one. And, um, You know, there's always that one movie, whether it's Coppola or Jonathan Demme or whoever it is that decides that they just can't go to bat again, try to fight this fight again and fail in their minds, fail. Um, I think Gone Girl was hard on him because of how people reacted to it. It was such a good movie and it was so, you know, people still love it. People still talk about it. It captured the zeitgeist Um, Mm. and then the Academy just sort of rejected it. It was really strange.
1: You know, a personal story about Gongro. My mom had had a stroke earlier that year and was in the hospital for a long time. And the doctors told us that uh, she has about ninety days to recover. And, and after ninety days, the improvement that you see after ninety days, that's going to be it. It's not going to be anymore. And so after ninety days, she still wasn't talking. She would listen to us, and she seemed to learn, and she could understand what we were saying, but she couldn't participate in a conversation. But I, I. You know, I, I would try to engage her all the time And we would watch movies and stuff like that But I took my mom to see Gone Girl that summer <laughs> And I could tell Just sitting next to her that she was into it And we got in the car after the movie And she started talking about the plot of the movie Oh wow And it's like my mom's back That's
0: incredible. And the Gone Girl brought my mom back oh, Wow! And so that means a
1: lot That movie means it means a lot to me And I told That's Pinter amazing. that in an email once And I, I hope he knows how much that means to me
0: That's incredible, what a story yeah. wow. I love it, yeah it's so good. I, I really loved yeah. it too. I, I just, I still love it. I'm really glad to see people continuing to rediscover it. I've never seen, the only people I saw react poorly to it were the film critics, who were annoying, um, and uh, the academy members. But like all the fans, people still, I mean, of all the movies he's ever made, like The Social Network and Gone Girl are the two that just really continue to resonate with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Girl is so ahead of its time.
1: I think so. I think it really is ahead of its time, and um, it's amazing though because the book was such a huge bestseller. But book readers and moviegoers are too, are like it's rare that they overlap the yeah. way that they do for a movie like like that.
0: So next time we'll do Gone Girl, Zodiac, uh, Seven, Panic Room. We'll do the whole Fincher thing.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, well, all this is. A, this was a good. Um, Week to Do Social Network because, as you said at the beginning, it's the 10th anniversary of its premiere when it opened, and the other movies that we'll be doing in the survey will be like a appetizer for Mank.
0: Yep, and that's coming mm-hmm. out in October, so yeah. not too far off. Um, that's exciting. Can't wait. All right.
2: Very All right. exciting. It's, it's uh, something to wake up in the morning for these days. <laughs> no, it really is. It's right? like the
0: only thing to wake up in the morning for. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm um, okay, guys. It was nice talking to you. You too. And, good uh,
2: to talk to you. Too. Thank you.
0: Okay. okay, we'll talk to you later.
2: Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. You're not an asshole, Mark.
2: You're just trying so hard to be. <laughs> How does it you to be One of the
1: beautiful
0: people Now that you know Thank <laughs> you.